you know, had we known then what we know now about the flaws in our justice system, uh, we would have commuted the sentences of 140, at least 146 people on death row. Welcome in, kids, to Alabama Politics This Week. Josh Moon and... David Person. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. I, I, yeah, the people will never know, but I, I started this off as my, in my old way and didn't say kids, and so it's and now I'm getting crap from the guy that records the whole thing for us. And so, <laughs> you know, that's life. Just life. Uh, but uh, how are you, David? Everything going okay? Yeah, man, I'm, I'm hanging in there. It's a... Uh, it's, uh... It's a a stormy day here in North Alabama. Yeah, stormy, stormy up up in North Alabama. And apparently, going to be a lot stormier in South and you know, Central and South Alabama later on. So it's uh-huh. uh, yeah, we're getting kind of the the light mix up here, and they're going to get the heavy stuff uh, from what I understand. But that, this is uh, we're we're doing it this week uh, a little different. We're on we're on Wednesday recording this week. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, that's that's how it works. And uh, and you know, uh, further news, just programming note: uh, we got one more show before the summer break. Uh-huh. Uh, so we got next week, and uh, and we, then we're going to take a few weeks off for uh, for our typical little summer break that we have, and uh, all rest up and come back. I mean, you know, it's the middle of summer, not not a whole lot's going on, and so I think it, that typically works out pretty well for everybody. Sure. Um, yeah, and so, but uh, listen, uh, today we uh, we've got uh, indictments, uh, we've got arraignments, we've got a former president who's been fingerprinted and processed at the uh, at the local courthouse, at the federal courthouse in Miami, and uh, there is a lot of uh, there are a lot of words that have been used uh, to describe this from the right. And, mm-hmm. I, you know, and most of them include Biden and Hillary Clinton mm-hmm. um, and the the childlike what about ism uh, over this is is so spectacularly stupid. Um, and the only thing that I continue to come back to, and this is uh, for the for the all the end of time, this is the only thing that I ever come back to on this to, to everybody that I speak to about, it, especially those on the right is. All he had to do was give them back. Mm-hmm. At, at any point in here, even all that stuff in the bathroom and everything else, if he had just given the records back, it would all be over. None of this would have mattered. None, none of this would be going on. No matter when he gave them back, if he had just given them back and st- and they not been forced to go in with search warrants and all this and find all the stuff, all of this would have gone away. Yeah. And, and and he didn't he has no right to have them. That he has no right he, he's endangering lives and, and American security by showing them the way he was. We all know this. This is not this is there's there's recordings of him saying I shouldn't have them. I didn't declassify them. I could have when I was president. Yep. What? Yep. I mean it's basically like the guy that robbed the store on tape later saying, you know, I robbed the store. Uh you know, I don't what more do you need? Yeah. Well, like you said, there is a, I think there's a whataboutism going on and we know that there's a lot of, well, look at what they did and what they did. But, but, you know, the reality is, uh, as you've indicated, you know, this Trump brought on the, he brought the legal problems on himself because not only 
did he not return the documents. He continued to make excuses about, and and throw out wild accusations, you know, excuses about why he had them, wild Mm -hmm. accusations about FBI planning documents. Um, You know, it's just everything points to somebody who has been caught and then starts to look for ways and reasons to justify what they've done. You know, it's like, you know, it's like when you, it's like you're dealing with a child, really, honestly, you know, a child who gets caught, you know, did you break that Billy? Well, you know, I wasn't the only one running through the house. So was Tommy, you know, and, 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 and and anyway, uh, you know, this is, this is my grandma's house. It's not Tommy's grandma's house. I mean, you know, it it just gets really ridiculous. Yeah, you know, I mean, the, the, the gyrations photos, that this guy is going through to try to justify himself. The, I mean, the photos of the records in the bathroom, you know, yeah. and it's just like, what is going on, man? It's just, it's really, it's really the dumbest of times that we're living in. I mean, it really is. I mean, it is so spectacularly dumb what's taking place here. This is one of the dumbest scandals in the history of scandals. I mean, it, it's so, it's so absurd. Well, I mean, why? He's showing them, you know, we all had this fear, I think, that maybe he was selling things off to foreign nations and doing this stuff. But, yeah. you know, in in true Trump fashion, the reality is way dumber than that. He was just showing them off to people, you know, to writers and, and you know, and to journalists and stuff. Well, and just, you know, I shouldn't have this. And well, here, still, look at this. I'm still not prepared to release the... Um Release the idea that maybe he he wasn't planning to do something nefarious with well, those documents, and and I'm also going to say this, as has been pointed out by some commentators, um, you know, there's a real national security issue here because he had these things in unsecured locations, right? Yes. So yes. even though, <coughs> pardon me, even though the documents themselves may still have been in place. How do we know that some spy from some other nation didn't get in there and document that stuff digitally? Yeah. We don't know yeah. that. Yeah, we, we don't, don't know. And we'll never know. Yeah. And, yeah. and the way he flashed them around to people and, you know, and uh, you know, I saw a, a, a fake headline from uh, The Onion or, or somebody the other day that, uh, that said uh, Trump dinner guests wonder why menu contains uh, missile location sites. Uh, you know, and it's just, uh, wow. you know, I mean, honestly, it's a wow. um, it, it is a it, it's it's so it's so brazenly stupid and it's so indefensible. I don't I mean, when you've got Bill Barr on Fox News saying Listen, the president of the United States, this is a very serious thing that he's done here. This is, I mean, you look at this indictment and it is ironclad. It is something that it, that's going to to haunt him for a long time because there's no there's no getting around what he's done in a lot of these cases here. That we know what he's done. We have him on tape talking about these things. Not only do we have him on tape talking about doing it, we have him on tape talking about knowing that he can't do what he's claiming publicly that he did. Which yeah. is declassify the documents just through his mind, um, you know, and that, and you know, then you have the people that are out there. I, you know, I guess they're on the this 
you know, trained and getting paid somehow or another uh, to say these things, but that, you know, he is, well, it's under the Presidential Records Act. And no, it's, that's not how, that, that, it doesn't cover these documents. It doesn't cover top secret classified documents. And uh, it just is, it's absurd what we're doing with this now. And that, that he just didn't give the documents back when they came looking for them three or four different times, you know, and they made the request and, uh, all of this thing was going through the archives and they were saying, listen, you've got these documents. We know you have them. Why won't you just return them? Please return the documents. Hey, we're, you're going to be you're going to face serious charges if you don't return the documents. And and it still continued on. And you have these people, even if you're wanting to argue that, you know, well, he didn't know he couldn't have them. Well, at a point, everybody told him you can't have these. You know, well, you can't have these records. And here's why. And he still didn't. He still didn't turn them over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, the indictment, the um, the uh, the charges against him. If you if you go through those, it's pretty clear that he knew at times. He expressed at times that he knew he was not quite on on stable legal ground, as you mm-hmm. indicated earlier. So I, I just think again, we've got a case of a child just being in denial of of his circumstance. And I keep referring to that because I think everybody who's a parent, I don't yeah. care if you're liberal, conservative, religious, not religious, Democrat, Republican, you can relate to this. You can understand this because we've seen children squirm. We've seen yeah. them, you know, try to obfuscate and to deflect when they get caught, you know, and, and this is just, a, you know, a 77 year old child. Doing the yeah. same thing. Yeah, it's, it's somebody that has never really faced consequences for his actions uh, and, do, and never expected to. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, what's, what's more troubling to me, really, is not him. I mean, this is the actions you would expect from him. Uh, I mean, it's the, th- it's the way he's behaved ever since we've ever known him. Uh, but, you know, even before he was president, this is just the way he behaves. But it, what's more troubling to me are the people who are just perfectly willing lawmakers, uh, you know, to come out and, and defend this. And, you know, I, and I, I know a lot of it is is based upon their, you know, personal political gain, uh, you know, furthering their own careers and, you know, and, and not damaging their, their careers by attacking Trump uh, because you have, you know, we, we've created this cult of Trump now where you, anybody that says a negative thing about him is ostracized uh, by this group of core, hardcore Republicans. And it's really kind of just insane to me that there is nothing, nothing that is sacred that Trump hadn't trounced all over over the course of the last several years, and they still defend this guy. And I mean, you look at you, he has violated essentially everything that they have ever said that they hold dear. And and still it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to them. They still defend him and, and take his side. Well I'll say this. Um we definitely have a clear indication now of who the people are in the Republican Party and in the conservative movement who have, you know, true moral standards and consciences, because those people have pretty much made themselves clear. You know, uh, we now have some people who appear to be latecomers to the game, Chris Christie, um, and that's for political reasons. I think we all know that. Uh, Tim Scott and Nikki Haley also have 
issued some mild criticism of Trump, even though, interestingly enough, or not really of Trump, but of his actions. Interestingly enough, though, uh, Haley said that she would pardon him if uh, if she were if she were president. And I'm thinking, wow. So this guy can can do the most egregious things. I mean, things that. That are on the same continuum with what with what some of the most infamous spies have done, right. you know, uh, in the history of our nation. I just I, I watched that movie Breached Breach recently. Have you seen that movie Breach? I don't think so. No, it's as it's about ten years or, or more old, but um, basically it's a it's the Robert Hansen story. Is what oh okay is. okay and yeah. and you know while while Hansen was clearly selling American secrets to the Russians mm-hmm. um, and and apparently into some really weird stuff in addition to that um, we, we you know we don't know if Trump so, has actually sold anything yet yeah but we do know that his actions you know, basically have the same effect, and that is to weaken national security or to put mm-hmm. it in jeopardy and to uh, and to put the United States and to set himself up really for yeah. potential benefit. So yeah. while he may not be as bad as Robert Hansen, he's on that continuum. And the thing to me that's, that makes the clear distinction is Hansen was just, you know, in the American intelligence community you know, mid-level or whatever he was, Donald Trump was the freaking president. Yeah. The implications of that. You're president? You're president. You're it's president. A, you know, he, I he, mean, we're he, talking about the president. <laughs> no, not, not the game. Not the game. Not the game. The we're president. talking about the president. Oh, right, right. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's, you know, it, it's a, it's, it's, um, yeah, I, I think one thing that should not be overlooked either is, is that this stuff does put American lives at risk. Yes. You know, it does. It does put it, it, the things that he's disclosing and the things that are out there or that could be disclosed to, to, you know, to hostile parties are, that puts people at risk. Re- Americans who have put their lives on the line and trusted in their government to protect them. This is, there's a reason why these protocols are in place and is protect those, those folks that are, who are doing that, who have dedicated their lives to protecting the country, who have dedicated their lives to going over and putting themselves in, in hostile regions and, you know, working for information to make us, to keep us safe. You know, it's one of the things that after 9-11, we realized we needed to really beef up the intelligence communities and, and, and have more information flow. And it's something that we've worked on. And there are a lot, there are a ton of Americans out there who are at risk because of these documents. And, you know, it, it just I, I, it's it's such an egregious act. Uh, and, and I don't I, I don't doubt for a second that his ultimate goal was to enrich himself in some way through these documents. I'm not saying uh, necessarily that he, he would sell them to a foreign adversary. Uh, in some way, but you know there are there are records. You know we know that the uh, was some former presidents re- have received you know mon- money for their records and things, and so uh, I don't doubt for a second that that was his intent was to to try to figure out a way to monetize these records for himself yeah. and his own benefit in some way. Uh, that's what he does all the time, yeah. and you know what I'm fine with that up to the point where you are violating the laws of the country in terms of, of keeping classified documents protected. Okay. 
I don't care what he made off of his own records and what he had a right to have. That's fine. Do whatever you want to do, man. I mean, you know, other presidents give them over to, you know, the archives and to, and to other places, you know. But if you wanted to make money, that's fine. Okay? But at the same time, you cannot do this. It's no. it's and, and there's no defense for it. There is zero defense. And if you're defending it, you are as big a child as he is. Yeah. And I, I wonder if 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 uh and I, I want to bring this, you know, home to Alabama. I wonder if, you know, the average Trump constituent in Alabama really truly grasps the magnitude of what we're talking about here. Yeah. You know, how vulnerable his actions have potentially made us um, and how much it undermines the whole intelligence process, really, if you think about it. Because, you know, now, you know, uh, I would imagine that in light of the actions that he's taken, they're going to have to really rethink how they disseminate information and how they uh, process information when it comes to, you know, uh, briefings and whatever else that are given to, uh, you know, presidents and the executive branch, because, you know, this guy's basically blown a hole in the whole, uh, he's blown a hole in the whole boat. He's just blown yeah. it up, really. Not well, just blown I'll a hole, but he's blown it up. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. And I'll tell you this, too, this thing has also exposed over the course of the last, you know, few months. Uh, just how lax apparently we have been at at, at protecting classified and secret yeah. information. You know, I mean, yeah, it, it is true that that Biden had documents that he shouldn't have in the garage. It is true uh, that other president, you know, Mike Pence had some stuff as well. That that other people mm-hmm. have had documents and things. Uh, in addition to some of the leaks that we've seen from pretty low level military folks. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, we just had the guy arrested was in New Jersey or wherever uh, mm-hmm. a few weeks back. Uh, you know, for for. Selling, I'm putting posting things on a video game forum, you know, and it's just, and you look, you look at it, and you're like, how in the hell did this guy in the National Guard have his access to this level of information, you know, and uh, and it just, you know, I think it 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 has raised a lot of indicators that we we need to do a better job of of protecting these records, um, and and maybe you're right re-examining the process for which we allow presidents access uh, to some of our most sensitive information uh, and the ability to take it off site, because that's what happened here is they just took the information off site. And yeah. uh, that, that just can't happen. We're, we're going to have to, I don't know if we need a position there that maybe, maybe Congress could come together and, and appoint an independent uh, party that, that monitors this for all presidents going forward or whatever. I mean, I felt like we kind of had that already, but maybe we just need one individual that we can, uh, we can rely on to make sure that the documents that need to be uh, contained, you know, are, are contained away from the White House and that there's no leak leaks like this or certainly nothing where you could just be sitting on the toilet at a you know jazzed up golf club and leafing through secret <laughs> documents you know i mean under the chandelier under the double chandelier toilet you know i mean yeah. it's just uh it just it's it's so absurd you know this is it's you know all the things that we do and all the protections we have that that we're in this situation because this one guy decided he was just going to ignore the protocols and we just he he blew up. I'll say this for Trump, okay, uh, completely un, unknowingly and 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 without purpose, 
he blew up a lot of our norms. Okay. Mm-hmm, and, and, mm-hmm. and we have all come to realize now that there are a lot of things that we're going to have to do differently going forward, just in response to things like this. So. I agree. I agree. All right. Let's, uh, let's slide out of here. Uh, we're going to come back in just a second with uh, former governor Don Siegelman and uh, talk a little bit about uh, the death penalty and his regrets and a recent op-ed he had with another former governor, uh, governor Robert Bentley. Uh, we'll be back in just a minute. Alabama politics this week. Hey, uh, if y'all would do us a favor and uh, go, to, if you're on Apple Podcasts, go and rate and review our little podcast here. Uh, that would be very, very helpful for us. Uh, you know, people might pay us to do this. Uh, you never know. Yeah, but yeah, but let's not stop at Apple. Also, uh, you can do the same thing on Google Play, Amazon, yeah. and some of the more Android-friendly, uh, you know, platforms uh, as well. I forget that Dave is an Android guy. I am. <laughs> Me, I'm a conformist. And so, you know, go to Apple. But seriously, wherever you go, just do it. Just, just go and, and rate and review, and, and that would be very nice. Unless you're going to leave a bad one. Don't do, don't do that. Just don't, doesn't don't, like that. Don't leave it. All righty. Welcome back. Alabama Politics This Week, Josh Moon, David Person, and we are happy now to have uh, with us again uh, former Governor Don Siegelman. Uh, it's it's always nice to have you, Governor. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Um, yep. Uh, I'm blessed and grateful, and that's uh, over, over-blessed for sure. Well, good, good. I'm glad to hear it. But listen, we, uh, we, we actually wanted to get you and your, uh, your co-writer, uh, Dr. Uh, Dr. Bentley, uh, former governor as well, on, uh, after we read uh, uh, the op-ed that, uh, that you and he wrote together, uh, in which essentially uh, it appeared in the Washington Post under uh, the headline, uh, Robert Bentley and Don Siegelman, We Regret Alabama Executions. Uh, and in it, y'all, you, you say that uh, you, would, uh, you would have, uh, if you had it to do over again, you would have commuted the sentences of all 146 Alabama death row inmates. Um, and I guess uh, let, let's, uh, let's start with, I think, the, the obvious questions first, which is, you know, what, uh, why didn't you back then? And what has changed your, your thought process for now? Why, why didn't I, I can't speak for Governor Bentley, but uh, we both concluded that, um, you know, had we known then what we know now about the flaws in our justice system, uh, we would have commuted the sentences of 140, at least 146 people on death row. And let me explain. We're we're in, Josh. We're in uh, 2023, mm-hmm. and we've got 115 people on Alabama's death row who were sentenced to death based on a non-unanimous jury recommendation, which is a relic of the Jim Crow era, for God's sakes. I mean, this is something that grew out of uh, the thought of, of, of whites who held power after the Civil War uh, when slaves were freed and blacks were eligible for jury duty. And white folks said, well, you know, we won't be able to put everybody to death that we want to if we have unanimous, uh, unanimous jury recommendations, unanimous jury verdicts. So they changed to non-unanimous so that uh, 
they could go ahead and legally lynch black folks over the objection of, uh, of black jurors. So, and now you know we're still living in this Jim Crow era. It makes no that makes no dang sense. And you know to top that off, we've got thirty one more people on death row who were sentenced by judicial override. This process whereby Alabama for years allowed judges to override a jury verdict and sentence somebody to death on their own. Um, first of all, it didn't make any sense. It was violative of the Sixth Amendment, the right to trial by jury. But now it makes, uh, Josh and David, it makes even less sense because in 2017, Alabama banned the practice of judicial overrides. But yet we still have people waiting to die based on this outlawed practice in Alabama and outlawed throughout the United States. So, you know, we, we, we just need to, uh, we need to get these folks off death row. And, uh, yeah. you know, well, what, I, you know, I, I guess, you know, a lot of people uh, would, would look back at it and say, well, you know, a lot of those things were still the case, you know, back when you were governor, especially back when when uh, when Bentley was governor. And um, and so what what in your in, in your thought process uh, has changed over the course of the last <laughs> several years? Well, a, a couple of a couple of uh, of uh, couple of things have, have entered the picture. Um, when I was sitting in court, having been charged with bribery for accepting a campaign contribution to the education lottery campaign, wasn't to my campaign, it was to a campaign to support the process of getting uh, voters to uh, enact a constitutional amendment, which would have established free college education and early learning for kids. Um, when the jurors returned a verdict of guilty for something I knew only existed in the minds of the prosecutors, I immediately flashed on the, the eight people whose execution dates I set as attorney general and the people who came before me as uh, as petitioners seeking a commutation of sentence. And I, I quietly asked God to forgive me for, I didn't know quite what, actually. Yeah, I didn't know really what was going on. I just knew that the system was flawed, that, it, that justice could be gained. Um, later, after having, I mean, I knew why I was there. I knew who was doing it and why. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't baffled by the fact that, you know, the, the person prosecuting me, her husband, was running Bob Riley's campaign. Um, so it wasn't a, wasn't a great, wasn't a great mystery. Right, yeah, it wasn't a great mystery, but, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, but, but what, what was a mystery was, was how the system failed. And, Looking at it, I saw that uh, after looking at grand jury testimony, I realized that, you know, that false testimony and, and, and evidence had been presented and exculpatory evidence had been withheld. And, and, but getting back to the point, so 
how did how did how did why didn't I why didn't I do something about it at the at the time? What was your question? Because at the time I was governor, I was not presented with the full set of facts that led up to this uh, the, the person's conviction. Um, what we saw at the you know as a and this is still the case with Governor Ivy, and that's why I think the law needs to be changed, and we need an independent review commission to examine the facts of all death penalty uh, cases so that a governor will have all of the facts available to him or her to make a, a decision on commutation. What is hidden from from governors are facts that the prosecutors may have withheld from the defense counsel. In the case of Freddie Lee Wright, I did not know at the time I was governor that Freddie Lee Wright was not the first suspect in the case, that the first suspect had been seen leaving the, 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 uh, the store where these two people were murdered and that his gun matched ballistically to the crime scene. I did not know that 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 two of Freddie Lee Wright's uh, the people who testified against Freddie Lee Wright had recanted their their testimony, um, and if if I had known then what came available twenty three years later, I would I mean he may have been convicted he may have even been convicted of murder but he would have never been convicted of capital murder, uh, so. He was he was he was charged. The other point about Freddie Lee Wright, his first trial, uh, he was acquitted on all charges on a vote of I think it was eleven to one, uh, eleven in favor of acquittal and one guilty. The next time he was tried, the DA struck all black jurors. It was an all white jury that convicted him. So if anyway, if I'd known all this at the time I was governor, I would have certainly commuted his sentence. So that, why, that's why we need an independent review commission that gathers this evidence over the years and makes it available to a governor at the time someone requests a commutation of sentence. Um, the, the Death Penalty Information Center, I'll, let me make this point and I'll, I'll stop talking for a minute, but the Death Penalty Information Center indicates that for every eight, little over eight, uh, executions, 8.3 executions, one person is exonerated. Well, that's about 12%, which means if you apply that statistic over, over time, that means that we're, we've been getting it wrong since 1976. You know, one could argue 12% of the time. That means we've been, we've been executing people who, if their cases were properly examined, would have been exonerated. That means that of the 166 people on Alabama's death row, 12% of 166 is roughly 20, I think. So we've got 20 people facing execution. If their cases were properly looked at, statistically would result in 20 of them being exonerated. Governor, I've got a couple of questions for you, and I'm glad you brought up the Freddie Wright case because I know that that's one that really, uh, in your own words, I believe, you said haunts you. Um, <clears throat> if um, 
if we were to do what I think I hear you saying, and, 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 and let me preface what I'm about to ask you uh, uh, with this statement. I am absolutely anti-death penalty. I want to make sure that I'm, I'm clear about that. So I'm not asking this from a pro-death penalty standpoint, but just simply to further clarify your position and sort of flesh out the issue. If we were to do what I believe I hear you asking, would we not be putting governors in the position of re-adjudicating cases? And is that something that we really want to do to have to create another level of adjudication above the courts? Well, <laughs> clearly the courts have been getting it wrong. So I would say that any any avenue toward justice, I would think, would be warranted at this point. Uh, so, you know, I think an, ind an independent review is not necessarily uh, creating another layer of adjudication. It's just creating another, it's creating a, a mechanism to accumulate information on each case. For example, uh, to Forrest Johnson, who was convicted by a non-unanimous jury. Well, the prosecutors didn't tell the defense counsel until after the trial that they had that they paid the 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 one witness who put Freddie uh, who put to Forrest Johnson behind bars and on the on death row had been paid five thousand dollars for her testimony. You know, if if that information had been available to the jury, I don't think that to Forrest Johnson would have been convicted of capital murder. Again, you know, maybe he had been convicted, maybe he had been convicted of murder. But I don't think he would have been convicted of capital murder. I'm not sure he had been convicted at all. And if you look at look at Rocky Myers, who was a judicial override case, um, you know, he wasn't even. There's no physical evidence to connect him to the crime scene. Um, but so my my point is simply this: you know, if you're going to have the death penalty. Um, then I think everybody, you know, first of all, as I'm going to put in quotes, Christians, we should all, most of us think that, you know, God should be the one who makes the decision between life or death. Yes. You know, isn't that what, I mean, isn't that the whole point of being, I mean, you know, God gave us life. It's only up to God to, to take it. That's right. But if you if you believe in the death bill, if you believe that somehow that that you're going to deter crime through a death penalty, then I think we could all agree, that, at least agree, that we get it right, that we execute the right person, yes. and that we don't don't execute people who shouldn't shouldn't be on death row. Let me make up one further point, and then I'll I'll end this discussion uh, or end it on my on my end. Um, the death penalty information center I indicated, you know, we get it wrong 12% of the time. The reason why these people are exonerated is because of police or prosecutorial misconduct, presenting false evidence, false testimony, withholding exculpatory evidence. And of those people exonerated, nearly 90% are guess what color, David? They're black. Mm -hmm. What does that tell you? That means that prosecutors have targeted black folks for murders they didn't commit. So, 
you know, how, how did we get into this situation? Let me conclude by saying this. In 1976, the Supreme Court gave prosecutors absolute immunity from knowing, willfully and knowingly presenting false evidence, false testimony, or withholding exculpatory evidence. How do they, they get 99% of the indictments they want. How do they get those? They get them in the secrecy of the grand jury where there is no lawyer or no judge there to override or oversee the, the presentation of, uh, of evidence. Let me ask this question. Do you think that uh, George Zimmerman would have walked free in the Trayvon Martin case if Benjamin Crump had been in the grand jury? <laughs> if he had been there to keep an eye on the prosecutors, right. if he had been there to present evidence on behalf of Trayvon Martin, I don't think so. Right. And the same thing could be said, you know, why is it that prosecutors get 99% of the, the indictments they want, but when it comes to holding a white police officer accountable for shooting a black in the back or choking him to death on the streets of New York for selling a cigarette, that uh, the uh, the rate of, of uh, returns of, of true bills in a grand jury drops precipitously, or they they're not even charged at all, as it was the case in New York. Right, Governor, you are you are as we like to say, you're driving down my street in my neighborhood now. <laughs> I mean, this is this is this is one of my pet peeves, and has been for over twenty or thirty years, especially when it comes to the withholding of exculpatory evidence by prosecutors. What can we do in light of the Supreme Court ruling? You know, what can be done to hold prosecutors accountable to dissuade future prosecutors from doing this? Or is it too late? No, no, it's not too late. It's, it's not too late. It's not too late for those people on death row in Alabama or anywhere else. And it's not too late to correct the system. The system is flawed. To underscore just how much it is flawed, even Elena Kagan in President Obama's administration, going back to this 1976 Supreme Court ruling that gave prosecutors carte blanche authority to do whatever the heck they wanted to to get a conviction, argued to the U.S. Supreme Court, and I quote, U.S. citizens do not have a constitutional right not to be framed. Well, maybe in Russia, but not in the United States. Good God Almighty. You know, this is a, a softball in slow motion going over home plate, and Joe Biden, or then Barack Obama, should have knocked it out of the park and said, you know, we're not going to allow prosecutors to frame innocent people in this country, not as long as I'm president. So they need to they need to do one thing immediately. The president could get uh, Merrick Garland to tell U.S. attorneys that if they are caught presenting false evidence, false testimony, or withholding exculpatory evidence, they're they're they are going to be fired, and and they the government is not going to stand behind them. They're going to be left out there all by themselves. Secondly, we need to appeal to Congress to, pat, to repeal the immunity that was granted in the Federal Tort Claims Act. Um, and the third thing that needs to be done is we need to extend the right to counsel 
to the family members of, of the victims of the use of excessive force so we can get people like Benjamin Crump in a grand jury. And I think we need to extend the right to counsel to targets as well. And let me, t- let me go on just a little bit more on the grand jury, the flaws in the grand jury. As you know, in a criminal trial or civil trial, both sides, lawyers for the plaintiff or the defense, get to question jurors about their impartiality or their prejudices, where they work, who they're married to. You know, none of that happens to a, a, a potential grand jurors in a in a grand jury setting. Grand jurors do not go through a voir dire process, so. In the case of the Breonna Taylor uh, uh, grand jury, we don't know that all, all of those grand jurors may have been related to people on the, in the police department. We've got to, we've got to, and I think that may be the easiest place for Congress to start is by saying, passing, uh, and I'm, one of my friends over in Georgia, Hank Johnson, is a member of the House Judiciary Committee. We talk back and forth about these issues, but I'd love to see just a straightforward bill saying that grand jurors must be vordired. I mean, let's at least begin the discussion. The but I think if we're if we're we're either either we have to re- straight out repeal the immunity of prosecutors, uh, or we have to extend the right to counsel to grand juries. You know, you know, listen, listen to you talking and, and knowing some of these cases and following, you know, a, a bunch of different stuff, you know, especially the Brian Stevenson uh, story and uh, and things that he's done. You know, it's always struck me as so uh, anti-justice, anti-American, um, these prosecutors who who refuse to give up the case. Uh, you know, who, who long after it, it's become obvious that there's a there's a serious flaw here. You know, there's a there's a serious uh, something has happened with these with the facts of this case. And, you know, whether it was intentional or unintentional, these people who continue to fight against these things um, and, and and continue to make these claims. Um, you know, Forrest Johnson case is, is a great example of it. Uh, you know, there, there's still there's some folks still fighting over that um, and to try to keep him in jail when it's fairly obvious to most people that, man, you've got some really bad flaws in this case. It, I, there's got to be something that we can do uh, in, in the process of this. Is, I understand the judicial system has its laws and, the, and the, you know, the appeals process that you can only look at certain things for, you know, as you go through this or whatever. There has got to be something that we can change along the way that allows courts and, and more sane people to take a look at the facts of a case, even even removing. Because, I mean, if, if, what you're talking about with the governor, for example, I mean, that's just commuting the sentence. You know, we're not we're not necessarily talking about a pardon in any case here. But there's got it seems to me that there should be some avenue long after the case, given all these cases that we know about where this has gone on that they can re-examine the basic facts of the case and say, you know, this doesn't this doesn't pass. This doesn't pass the smell test. And we've got advancements now in DNA and other means to go back and look at a bunch of different evidence. And, and we could exonerate people that should be exonerated. No, you're absolutely right. And, um, you know, one of the one of the one of the uh, the other flaws in the system uh, 
I've read the recent Supreme Court ruling uh, on the malapportionment of the Alabama congressional districts. And the last two, I'm going to jump here from congressional districts to the Alabama appellate courts, but the last two black justices, Ralph Cook and John England, were were there during my my administration. I, I appointed all well both Ralph started out as an appointee, and so did uh, I appointed uh, Judge England. Both were defeated by Carl Rove and his machine that came into Alabama to take over the Alabama Supreme Court for the Republicans um, and for the business community. We have uh, now nine justices, all are white, seven male, two female, both, I mean, they're all white, right? Mm -hmm. um, the Court of, Court of uh, Criminal Appeals has five people, all white. Never, as far as I know, we've never, ever elected a black man or woman to the Alabama Court of, of Criminal Appeals or Civil Appeals, which has six members, and is all white. And all of these, uh, they're all white and all Republican, by the way, but that, the fact that they're Republican doesn't bother me as much as, as the fact that they're all white. So why can't we just simply adopt this new map that the Supreme Court is going to approve, or the federal court is going to approve, rather, that apportions Alabama into seven districts with two black? Why can't we just have a seven-member Supreme Court with, you know, divided it, and we have the exact same districts that the court is going to approve, that they, they're going to, the state legislature and the federal courts are going to say that these seven districts adequately represent the interest of the people of Alabama. Now, why, do, why are we going to wait until we get sued again and again and again, and, and Steve Marshall defends the state and these illogical systems that we have that results in unequal representation of vast numbers of uh, of people, it, it, uh, and David, I hope that bothers you too. <laughs> but if we if we had yes, equal sir. representation, if we had uh, out of the the five uh, members of the Court of Criminal Appeals, if we had uh, you know if we switched that to a seven person court and had had two two black lawyers uh, as justices, it would make people feel a little more comfortable, and I think. Um, you know, I think maybe would would uh, result in in fixing this problem that that uh, that Josh just raised about isn't there some way for these things to come to light earlier and get get these cases decided on a more fair and just basis uh, before they reach the death penalty phase. Well, I think you're right. And, uh, you know, and the one thing I, I want to say is, uh, you know, that it's uh, as they say, it's never too late to do the right thing. And uh, and so I appreciate you uh, speaking out and um, and saying these things and coming on and, and talking about it and continuing to keep it in the light um, and because it's going to be helpful. It, you know, I know it's it, it. Believe me, I understand the the banging your head against the wall aspect of this whole thing. Uh, but uh, it, it's going to be that way. And we really do appreciate you coming on here and spending some time with us today. 
we really do, Governor. Josh, just one other very quick question. Sure. How, how did you and, and former Governor uh, uh, Bentley get together, Governor, uh, and collaborate? What what was the what was the genesis of that? Well, the, the genesis of it was that uh, I, you know, I'm, uh, Governor Bentley and I have never uh, never had any uh, cross words. Uh, you know, obviously we didn't agree on policy questions, but. Uh, after I got this draft of the uh, what was we thought was going to be a New York Times piece uh, together, uh, I drove down to see him, and, and we had just a frank discussion about our time as governors and our experiences uh, with uh, the death penalty and commutations. And uh, remarkably, uh, he he and I agreed that uh, that it was wrong that we both had, were troubled by it and. Uh, he agreed to sign on to this uh, this op-ed piece. the The thought was, um, you know, it really, you know, it, it needed it needed a bipartisan, a bipartisan touch, uh, in order to reach as many people as we wanted it to reach. And so I was I was happy and delighted and and uh, and pleased that Governor Bentley agreed to. Uh, co-host, co-write this uh, piece with me. All right. All right. Well, I'm, I'm pleased, and obviously, it got a lot of attention nationally and and around the state, and uh, and its attention that was was needed and deserved. And uh, I hope people continue to to pay attention to this. And thank you so much for coming on with us today and spending yes, some time. And, uh, and and surely we can get you back on here uh, sooner than we have the last time. <laughs> All right. Thank you. You guys have a great day, and uh, and we'll talk to you soon. All right, All right. Governor, thank you. That is, that is Governor right. Don Siegelman. It's uh, it's they're they're doing good work, and uh, yeah. you know it's uh, thankful for the, him and uh, him and Governor Bentley kind of putting that together, and, um, and you know I think it'll make a difference uh, to a lot of people. So I right, tell you what, let's slide out of here for uh, for a moment. Now we'll come back. We'll wrap this thing up in just a few minutes. Alabama politics this week. If you're hearing my voice, that means you are a fan of Alabama politics this week. And I want to tell you how grateful I am that you listen and that you're engaged with what Josh and I talk about every week. So I want to ask you to continue listening and uh, continue to support us and definitely reach out with ideas, comments, suggestions. Uh, Your support makes a difference and it means a lot. Welcome back. Our thanks to uh, former Governor Don Siegel yeah. for spending some time with us. That was Dave and I were just talking. It was a it was a good interview with him. He mm. really he really he really did explain his position, and uh, I felt he had some some good answers to uh, some tough questions. Which is, you know, why the hell didn't you do this when you were governor? You know, mm. what, what could you have possibly learned since then? But you know, uh, Siegelman has been through some things, uh, so yeah. he's got a, bit, a little bit of perspective on this. And uh, uh, you know, he was treated very very poorly. Uh, by our federal uh, corrections uh, institutes out there. Uh, and uh, I feel like he was uh, made a, uh, he, he, he was treated in a way that, that, 
most people would not be treated at, at his level. And, um, you know, especially for the crime that mm-hmm. he was accused of committing. And I always thought that the crime was a little bit of BS, uh, all the way around, but, uh, besides the point, I guess, but, uh, you know, he, he's still, he's got a, uh, he's got a unique perspective, which we could have got Robert Bentley on. The invitation was extended, yeah. uh, to, to Dr. Bentley. Um, and, uh, we, we made it clear that we were, you know, this was not a, uh, a Republican Democrat sort of conversation. This was going to be a, um, you know, a, a conversation about their op-ed that they wrote yeah. uh, and about their opinion and what's changed. And that's all it was going to be about, but we I don't know. He could have had a scheduling conflict or something. I, I'm not sure. Uh, we weren't so going to ask any questions about yeah. his demise. That was not right. going to come yeah. up. Yeah. You know. Yeah. No, we were not. We. Yeah. I mean, you know, it would be nice to get him on and, and talk about that whole thing uh, at some point, and yeah. uh, you know, or anywhere. I'd love to hear, listen to this, his his perspective of his that story. Of yeah. But uh, that wasn't what this was about. This, to me, no, this, absolutely this, not. This is too yeah. serious a topic to yeah. even commingle the two. I mean, absolutely, you know, it would have been. Yeah. Yeah. You know, just yeah, it's yeah, yeah. We weren't doing him any favors by saying, you know, we're not going to talk about that. This was mm-hmm. him, the conversation was about something else. And as mm-hmm. you saw, even with just uh, Governor Siegelman on talking about it, we had a good 30 minute conversation uh, there. So there's yeah. plenty of things to, to, to discuss and talk <clears throat> about. And, and we didn't cover some of the other things he wanted to say. But mm-hmm. um, but anyways, that uh, it was it was a good talk. Um, yeah. Uh, speaking uh, speaking of good talks, uh, there's going to be one Saturday uh, in, in Huntsville. Uh, yeah. Huntsville area. Um, and that is the ADC, Alabama Democratic Conference, is holding a uh, town hall on redistricting. And I'm assuming going over what they believe the maps could be or should be um, and talking to people about what, uh, what what's going to happen. Um, so yeah. and I know you're going to be there, right? Nick? Yeah, that's my plan. Uh, I was I was going to be there anyway, because um, there's a um, there's going to be a screening of a documentary about uh, Rosa Parks. And uh, I'm one of the founding members of the Rosa Parks Committee of Huntsville. And so we're involved in that. And I was going to be there for that screening and uh, moderate the panel discussion uh, after that screening. So that that was that that was already set up. And then I learned literally this morning, Josh, that there was going to be this this uh, presentation, this town hall convened by the ADC to talk about congressional redistricting. So, you know, so I'm just going to stay by after we finish the, after we finish the panel discussion, I'm going to stay by and see what, uh, what uh, good Dr. Joe Reed has to say and uh, what he and Reverend Dr. Randy Kelly are going to be presenting. And, and uh, you know, I think it has implications uh, that are, you know, I mean, as we've already talked about in the first, uh, segment and as we've considered, I mean this this uh, well we didn't talk about that in the first segment really, but we uh, I guess it who brought, oh oh it was Siegelman who brought it up I knew yes. it'd come up yeah. somewhere in the in the yeah, course yeah. of our of this podcast um, you know he he kind of mentioned it the governor mentioned it in passing I mean this is a serious topic and it's one that's gonna gonna affect our state has the potential to affect our state for the positive. In years to come, right. even though, as you and I discussed, I think it was last week in last week's podcast, this is not <clears throat> this is not the ideal. It's just it's just an improvement, but it's not yeah. really the ideal. But, uh, yeah. but nonetheless, you know, it, it's a justice issue. And so, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to sit by and see what they have to say. 
Yeah, you know, there, there's talk of, uh, you know, I've seen a couple of, uh, of op-eds and or stories. I don't know if they were op-eds, but there were stories uh, about, mm-hmm. you know, what, what this redistricting could mean uh, for Democrats and um, what it could mean for, you know, just the state in general and uh, and how it could be, how things could play out. And, and you know, one, one aspect of this is, um, you know, if you're going to if you're going to make the, the districts um, more uh, minority friendly as they should be, um, then you you could possibly pull from one place you could pull from to do that would be Terry Sewell's district, still leaving her district with a, a majority minority, but uh, less so, far less so around the, the 50 percent you know, or maybe a little below 50 percent uh, range. And then also you know, pull, pull those over into district two, uh, which is, you know, at the Montgomery area and down into Wiregrass and Dothan and Troy. And, uh, and that would then elevate, and you could do it really by just making probably Montgomery County whole, uh, mm. instead of the carve out that's currently there in West Montgomery that, that puts West Montgomery into Terry Sewell's district. Uh, you could probably do that. As a matter of fact, I believe that's one of the ways that, uh, the former mayor of, uh, of Montgomery, uh, Bobby, I'm drawing a blank now. Bobby Bright. Bobby Bright. Yeah. Bobby Bright. Uh, that was one of the ways that he, he got elected in that district was, uh, you know, because it was a whole, a whole County at that point. Um, but you know, I, and so I, I think that that, and, and a, maybe a little bit more would, would add into district two and elevate it up to the level of representation that would be required. Um, and if done so, um, it could potentially put Terry Sewell at risk mm. um, and, you know, uh, certainly make her race much closer than it has been in years past um, and possibly produce a challenger or two from the right uh, that would try to go in and, and collect some of those votes. And, um, you know, and, and with all of the voter suppression stuff that we've had, we've passed and we've seen, um, you know, I you know, do you fear that there's any chance that 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 this could cost Alabama its only black legislator or well, only black congresswoman? Uh, I mean, you know, we can't ignore the past. And so the past would indicate that we have good reason to be <clears throat> certainly uh, concerned about whether or not that's something that could happen. You know, it's not far fetched, in other words. Now, having said that. It seems to me the whole point of the ruling um, w- was to ensure uh, that there's reputation, that there's racial representation. So, um, or at least that there's a, a reasonable uh, opportunity for there to be uh, r- racial representation. Right. So I would think that, um, and and as you pointed out in your uh, your your column about the legislature, I think we've got uh, an interesting uh, change and shift in tone in the legislature, yeah. which leads me to think that they're going to probably, uh, hopefully at least under Ledbetter's leadership, to be a little more sensitive, a little more circumspect, and not so not so uh, rabidly partisan about how they do things uh, and understand that, you know, the goal here is to get the federal courts off of Alabama's back, not right. keep the federal courts on our backs. Right. Yeah. So yeah. hopefully they will draw the lines in such a way 
that it won't really do uh, any real damage to Sewell's district while meeting the objective of creating this new district where there's the potential, strong potential for for a black person to be elected. So that's that's what I'm that's what I'm leaning toward now. And uh, and I'll tell you again, a lot of that is influenced by not only what again what the court I think uh, is trying to achieve here. But but what your reporting has shown as it relates to the legislature. Yeah, I, I hope that. Well, I, I think what you said at the beginning is always troubling, which is we know the history here mm-hmm. and we know, uh, you know, first of all, uh, they knew what the facts were when they went in and drew these maps out and they still did it anyway, even mm-hmm. everybody telling them. Uh, you know, this is wrong and it's going to get even more wrong over the course of the next 10 years. And there's no way that this can stand up. Um, and so, uh, you know, I think that they expected to have that backstop from the Supreme Court there that would always, you know, take up for them, uh, no matter what the actual facts of the matter were. They were, you know, they would figure out a way ideologically to, to wrap their wrap the law around the, their ideas and, and, and do it that way. But. Um, you know, the fact that they didn't tells you how wrong this was. And so maybe that has sent a message to somebody. And and you're right. I, I do. I do have uh, a, a bit more faith in, in this legislature under under its current leadership and under its current uh, sense of kind of camaraderie and, and cooperation with each other. Uh, I think that people on both sides of the aisle uh, felt pretty good about each other coming out of this thing. Uh, that they felt like they had done some good things. That's not going to always be the case. There's going to be some fights. There's going to be some things that go on because you know that's that's to be expected. But um, I, I do feel like what was there was handled pretty well. I mean, I, I'll give you an example uh, where things in years past would have gone completely off the rails, and they didn't this year. And that's with the whole deal uh, between Wandlin Gavon and Kenneth Paschal. Um, you know, when she, she quoted the Jay-Z song about, you know, the yeah. N word and, and, yeah. and all that. And, um, you know, and, and said, that's who you're going to be to them. And, and that's who all you're going to be. And, you know, and, and, and some folks tried to make that into a big scandal. You know, they, they turned, you know, they went to their different little outlets and wrote all these things up and talked about how egregious it was and how shameful it was. And, uh, you know, how, how racist it was. And, you know, that thing never really took off. Nope. Um, and and it it died, um, you know, and, and I think it was simply because of the relationships that were there between the two sides at, at the leadership level, between uh, Anthony Daniels and Bobby Singleton on the Democratic side and Nathaniel Ledbetter and Greg Reed on the Republican side and some of the other folks that were there kind of going back and forth. Um, and now it helped. It also helped, I'll say this, and it's one thing I should have brought up more in the column, uh, that I wrote about it, I think it did help that they had these major economic development issues on the, at the very beginning of that of the session that they could all focus on and kind of come together over, uh, and and they did that, and I think you know so they were all working behind the scenes already, uh, and then and that I think that kind of spurred that uh, that that kind of sense going into this, and maybe they ought to look for more things like that in going into sessions, you know, in in the future, but um, you know I think that that played a big role, and so. I'm I'm hopeful that it's changed some things and maybe that'll bleed over into this next fight uh, over these maps and and how the districts are going to be drawn. But really, I say fight. There's not going to be a fight. OK, it's going to be what the, whatever the Republicans draw up is what's going to be the maps. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I'll tell you, 
I really wish that somebody would take an opportunity here and say, look, look at this time we're wasting on this. Look at the money we're wasting. Look at all the millions of dollars we're going to pay out in legal fees for legal challenges and all this stuff. And shouldn't we just do a commission? Let's just do an independent commission. Let's all come together on an idea for this commission that's going to draw up our district maps uh, for, for everything. And let's be done with it. Let's be done with this. Let these guys do this from the future going forward and let's make it fair. And whoever wins, wins, you know? Yeah. I mean, the, the repeated intervention of the courts, but, you know, should should be enough to dissuade them from just being overtly partisan. But then again, you know, we've been living through almost two generations now of uh, federal intervention, at least yeah. two generations, I should say, of federal intervention. And so I don't know, maybe people are just uh, accustomed to it, but it wastes money. It wastes time. It it creates animosity that's unnecessary. Uh, just like you said, let's just get there and do the right thing. And I think a commission is a great idea. I mean, why not? You know, create some bipartisan group that does the work and that does it impartially and and tries to stay you know stay within the bounds of what the court what the court has set i mean you know why yeah. is that so difficult oh, well yeah it, because it's the right thing to do and somebody <laughs> would lose out if they don't you know that's just that's the that's the reason why it's always that difficult yeah. um uh, speaking of uh, the right thing to do uh the right thing to do is uh is to uh, name uh, Tommy Tuberville for like the eighth time this year <laughs> as our right wing nut uh because i mean there's literally nobody else you could put in this spot in this spot this this week i mean what he done this yeah. week is just oh tommy Tommy, 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 Tommy. Uh, so he missed a key vote yesterday uh, after being uh, after requesting to be on the banking committee. He missed a key vote uh, for uh, you know an appointment and uh, outraged his Republican colleagues because they were all set in this Senate uh, uh, hearing to, to force the, the vice president to have to come in and, and have cast a tie breaking vote uh, to approve this person. And instead, uh, Tommy didn't make the vote. Uh, Tommy instead went up to uh, to. To, to Trump and, and to to New Jersey uh, to be there with Trump for a nice little hey he's going to jail rally um, <laughs> and say you know whatever dumb things Tuberville said about Biden and Corvettes and, um, and and just but is this a surprise to anybody? Could it possibly be a surprise to anybody that he did this? Well. You know, uh, I have a friend. Uh, he's a Democrat, but this friend said. Alabama, for the first time in 100 years, does not have a serious senator in the U.S. Senate. Now, he's saying that from the standpoint of the jury's out on Katie Britt. Yeah. You know, she has, you know, she's yet to really establish who she is. So this really is not a swipe at Katie Britt. It's more of a slight at Tuber. It's more of a swipe at Tuberville, who has been there for a few years. He was there under the ostensibly under the tutelage of Richard Shelby, uh, you know, the great uh, the great senator. Uh, yeah. That that even though we disagree on policy and politics, we know he was a great senator nonetheless. You know, and uh, you know the bottom line to me is doggone it. We didn't send, you know, the, the people of Alabama who voted for him, and I sure as hell wasn't one of them, 
You know, we didn't send him up there to go traipsing up to New Jersey to to hang out with Donald Trump. We sent him there to do a job, to look out for the interests of the state of Alabama, to look out for the interests of the United States of America. Why in the world are you missing votes on key issues so that you can be in New Jersey with Donald Trump? No wonder the Republicans were angry with him. Well, I know they had political reasons for being angry with him because they wanted to force Kamala Harris in and really make this, I guess, as partisan a vote as they could. But that's their reason for being angry with him. My my reason is, man, we didn't send you to Congress for that, to the U.S. Senate for that. What are you doing? Man, oh, (laughs) Uh, uh, I think he's just doing what what Tubbs does, and and that is always always looking out for Tubbs first. Uh, hey, so that's what he Tubbs does. Going to do, yeah, that's a, that's exactly right. He's going to look out for himself, <laughs> and he's going to uh, he's going to do whatever he thinks benefits him most, and this mm. is what he thinks benefits him. This is what he thinks gets him elected or reelected, and uh, and you know, I, I just it's just I, there there's no uh, all of these things he does. Are it's all completely calculated to benefit himself, okay? And it's just like the hold on the military promotions and all the other stuff that he's done, all the things he's the crazy things he says. Uh, they're all designed to attract that rabid base of you know of white country voters that's going to put him back in that seat again. Uh, you so know, let me and, ask you. Let me ask you this because you're suggesting that there's a that there's a, even though we disagree with it, that there's a logical rationale for what he's doing, that it's calculated, that it's intentional. Do you really think it's calculated and intentional or is he just being a goofball, a racist, uh, irresponsible goofball? Um, I think, I think that is calculated. Uh, to a to a degree. Mm. Uh, now, what what he actually says at times, I don't think that's all that calculated. Uh, but I do think that to a, to a certain extent, what you know, what he says and uh, you know, and and how he presents himself is calculated to the point of I need to say these these things about these people or agree with these other people uh, in, in order to further my image as this particular person. Um, and hmm. so I think that is absolutely part of it, but you know, is it, um, you know, is it all calculated? No. I mean, I think he says some really dumb stuff off the cuff that he w- wishes he could, uh, you know, kind of refine a bit. Well, what uh, but well, well, Josh, what about the trip to New Jersey? Was that calculated? Oh, no, that was calculated. Oh, absolutely. That was calculated. No, no, no doubt in my mind. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt in my mind that, that he felt like that best benefited him, you know, to go up there and stand by Trump and be the be the Trump guy. Um, and, and it's the same reason he was on the, you know, he was part of the January 6th stuff, you know, and uh, it, it, that's what he thinks benefits him. That's what his his base you know, he, they've done the polling. That's what they say the polling shows is, is going to best benefit him. So, yeah, I mean, I think 100 percent that's it. No. Well, let's see yeah. what happens um, as, as, as Trump continues to, to slide down into the muck and mire of this legal rabbit hole that he's in. Let's see what, what Tupperville does then. You think he's going to stick by I think so. I think there's no downside for Tuberville. To, the the mm. only downside for Tuberville is to bail on Trump. Uh, mm. You know, 
Uh, that, and I think that's the only way. That's the only way he loses. Uh, you know, if polling starts to shift, I, that's the only way that he, t- he bails on Trump. You know, and that's if the, the you know, the average Republican, you know, the hardcore base voter starts to turn their back on Trump, then I think Tommy Tuberville will as well. Uh, but that's the only thing that's going to get him to move. That mm-hmm. doing the right thing is not going to get him to move. Uh, you know, being, you know, looking at the charges and saying, no, this, I can't do this anymore. That's not going to get him to move. It's simply what benefits Tuberville. That's all that's ever going to get him to move uh and that's that's just who he is and that's who we elected you know uh and so if that's the guy you want then god Mm. bless you but uh you know i I just uh, you know i I don't believe our other senator is that bad um you know uh, i know the jury's still out and to some degree but i i just i can't i can't wrap my hands around that being the case with katie Britt, and so we'll we'll see well she well clearly she didn't miss the vote so there's that right (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. She's not, I mean, she wasn't at Bedminster, you know, yeah. hanging out. Yeah. She uh, wasn't yeah. hanging out with Trump in Bedminster. Uh, yeah. She's, she's shown that she can be partisan when she wants to be. And, you know, I guess that's to be expected. You know, everybody's going to be partisan at some point, but what I'm looking yeah. for out of her is, you know, some smart moves as it relates to governance that will benefit the state of Alabama. And yeah. not be detrimental to us. And, you know, if she can do that, that's probably the best I'm going to be able to hope for. That's how I look at it. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think she, there's been some signs early on, you know, with the work she did on the, the you know, the social media bill with uh, with Chris Murphy and, and some Democrats and stuff. And so I think that there, you know, she at least seems to be putting that that I'm going to be a serious person here, mm-hmm. not a clown show. Uh, foot forward, and so I think if she can continue down that track, then then we'll be we'll be okay. You know, we're not ideal. It's not Doug Jones, but it's you know, yeah. it's 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 something that we can we well, can she, live with, like Richard Shelby was. Yeah, she's not a she's not a Jones, she's not a Shelby, but she's not. But I but I yeah, I'm with you 100. percent She ain't a clown show, that's for sure. No, 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 no. no we've only got one clown show coming out of yeah. the state so far. Yeah, and we, that's, don't, we don't need it. We, we've got a we don't need another clown in that no. car. No, we yeah. don't. We don't need another one. No. Yeah. All right. I tell you what. You know what? I think we've given these people enough. I mean, yeah. where else are you getting? Where else you getting Don Siegelman talking about the death penalty? Okay. Man, you're that was a good set. I just I got to applaud the governor again. The way he he fleshed out those issues, man, was just great. I loved it. Yeah. Yeah, I did Love too. It. I did too. I thought he did an excellent job, and mm-hmm. and hopefully y'all all will agree. And uh, I tell you what, we're gonna we're gonna get out of here. And until uh, next week, y'all be safe out there. Peace. <laughs> <laughs>